Welcome to The Prep School, a Franklin Medical Reserve Corps podcast where you'll learn how to be prepared through entertaining education. Produced in the media studios at Greenfield Community College in lovely rural western Massachusetts, near Vermont and not far from upstate New York, not the Berkshires, but real close. And here's your host, Denise Schwartz. Hi, I'm Denise Schwartz, your host, and today I'm talking with Tricia Yacovone Biaggi about resilience. Yes, I know, resilience. It's an overused word, but you know it's an important one. And today we're going to look at it in terms of how a community, a town, a city, a neighborhood, can bounce back, that is, become resilient after experiencing a disaster, a shock, or a terrible event. Trish is going to talk specifically about what happened in Buffalo, New York in 2022 when an active shooter opened fire in a market in a predominantly black neighborhood. And then she's going to talk a little bit about why resilience is local. But first, a little bit about Trisha. She's been in public health for 10 years. And first, she was part of a field staff for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And then she worked for the state of Texas. She moved back to Western Massachusetts and obtained a master's degree in security and resilient studies from Northeastern University. And now she serves as the town liaison for Shelburne's Municipal Vulnerability Preparedness Project, and she's on that town's planning board. So, Tricia, let's start. Let's start with talking about Buffalo why you went there and what you did when you got there. And um, let's remember to talk about a certain little ice cream truck. (laughs) Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about um, the community resilience in Buffalo, New York, after the massacre in May of 2022. Um, The reason I went there was I was working on my capstone project for my master's degree and Uh, During the course of my studies, several communities had been victimized by mass shootings. And I kept wondering, uh, like everybody else, why did this happen? But, But then I went the next step and said, what did these communities do to respond, to heal? How did they work through the grief and the trauma? Mm. And I noticed that in Buffalo, all of these community organizations just jumped right in and helped each other, um, started forming new relationships across, um, bridging across to each other. And I wanted to understand more and talk to them about mm. why they did that. And So um, you went there. Yes, you, I did. You went to I, Buffalo. I did. I spent three days there. Um, this was after I had already contacted um, a, a little bit more than 70 organizations via email to see if I could, and or phone, to see if I could interview them um, and if they would complete a survey. So of the ones that completed the surveys, I was able to meet with a few in person and talk to them about what they did. In fact, one of them brought other people. So we had a little focus group, which was... Oh really wonderful because I could see those social ties that they made with each other in person and understand what motivated everybody to help each other. Now, you brought up um, two words that I really like, social ties. You've talked about how important that is to like weaving a really strong community fabric 
Talk a little bit about social ties. I love that you use social fabric (laughs) um, because that's how I visualize it. I'm a very visual person. So when I first started to understand social ties, that's exactly how I visualized it. It's like the, the weaving of the vertical and the horizontal all coming together. And as those ties of the, the horizontals and the verticals get tighter, the fabric is stronger. And so the way you can understand that is communities that um, are groups within a community who reach across Mm. Um, to other groups that they normally wouldn't deal with, we would call that bridging social ties. Right. And that helps build on the ones that everybody knows usually, which are bonding social ties like, oh, we're both women. We both like um, pizza. Pizza. So we have <laughs> right. a pizza group. You know, we right. go out for pizza every week. So that's more of a bonding type of social tie. So did you find that that was happening in Buffalo after this shocking event? Yes. Actually, um, more of the bridging social ties happened, and they became more um, frequent. So that was one of the things that I asked about was if you had formed new relationships across the community to other organizations after this horrific event, is your intention to continue those relationships? And almost oh. all of the respondents said yes, that this was something that they were going to continue doing because they saw a huge benefit to the community through that. Now, you, uh, and I don't want to talk about your uh, video a lot, but you did create a video from the research that you did in Buffalo. And when I watched it, I was struck by, um, I think it was almost the beginning scene where you showed an empty basketball court and empty streets in Buffalo, and you said the children didn't come out to play. The streets were empty because they were afraid. And then some community leader did something that I just thought was wonderful. And it made me think about another phrase that you used, and that was small gestures. Now, that small gesture was an ice cream truck. Tell me about that. Oh, isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. I had an entirely different beginning in mind until I found out about the ice cream truck, and then it all changed. Right, Um, I bet. So the ice cream truck came about um, from the leader of a... uh, Actually, he leads several organizations in Buffalo, community organizations, um, and he was hearing from the community that the kids weren't coming out. Everybody Mm -hmm. was afraid. And he said, I just sat there and I thought, what would get the kids to come outside? An ice cream truck. (laughs) So he um, contacted a person who had a truck, uh, an ice cream truck, and contracted with her to come to the come to the neighborhood and get people outside because they were really Many of the people in the community were so concerned that the kids were now afraid that they really wanted to um, find a way to get them to come out. And this was uh, within the first week or so after the event. And did it work? It did. It (laughs) it got a few kids out. Um, They were still pretty shocked. And I I don't know um, if anyone listening would be able to relate to this, but 
uh, when I went into the supermarket, by the time I went to Buffalo, it was six months later, the supermarket had reopened. It had mm-hmm. been completely re um, renovated. And it was still for me, and I had never been there before, walking in there as a white person, realizing that I would never have been targeted on that day had a profound impact on me that I couldn't imagine just living my life and being targeted because of the color of my skin. And that's how the folks in Buffalo were having to deal with the trauma. Right. And so um, I think, you know, this is where the relationships that we have across the community are so important because we really have to get through shocks together. We can't sort of hunker down and, and, and feel like we're going to do it all ourselves, yes. which is difficult in a society where we kind of value that individualistic type of response. I'm curious, how did people respond to you when you got there as a white person? Oh. Well, um, I had already contacted many people over the phone, and some people originally didn't really want to talk. And um, I have a lot of experience interviewing people, and I understand that there are different power differentials and different types of social barriers that we have um, that might make people reluctant to talk to me. Um, But that's the thing about social barriers they're social, which means they're created by humans, which means humans can take them down, too. Right, great. So by respecting everyone I was speaking with and understanding where they were coming from and also that they had been inundated by the media already for the previous few months. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one person that I talked to said, you have to understand some people aren't going to talk to you because they're tired of talking to the press and other people and that the press would turn their stories into something that they necessarily were not. So I tried to be very faithful to everything people told me and weave the story according to their quotations, not what um, I didn't have, I guess, what I'm trying to say is I didn't have an agenda when I started this. I just really wanted to learn more about what people did and how it all worked in the framework of resilience and Um, social science. So tell me a little bit about, give me some specific examples about what organizations, groups, neighborhoods in Buffalo did. Oh, that's great. So the first, the first thing after the ice cream truck, (laughs) which was just brilliant in my mind. Um, and I'm glad that you appreciated it too. Um, was they, uh, provided food because that grocery store was the only grocery store, a full-service grocery store with fresh produce and a deli and everything that you would kind of expect from a regular grocery store um, in that community. So It wasn't a convenience store. No, it was not okay. a convenience mm-hmm. store. It was an actual full-service grocery like, that we would see, you know, a major store would have, like your local grocery. Like Foster's here in Greenfield. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it was actually even, I would say even a little bit more like Big Y. It had oh. a little bit more um, fresh vegetables. Okay, larger. And, sure. Yeah, a little bit larger. Um, they had, uh, you know, coffee and 
bakery goods and all of that. It was actually a local gathering place for many people, mm-hmm. which is why when it closed, um, <clears throat> that's a that's a location that in social science we would call a third space. It's not where people work. It's not where they live. But it's somewhere they convene and they talk to each other. And it's an important sure. part of their community, right? Right. And so when that was gone, they also lost this third space where people would gather and just chit-chat and create these social ties that are so important to a society. So... Um, People didn't have a place to go and um, to get their food. So all of these organizations tried to provide food. They had Mm. um, prepared foods. They had barbecues. Um, And slowly but surely, the folks who were doing all this work were hearing from the community, where do I get diapers? How do I get napkins? I Mm. need sanitary supplies. Mm. So... One of the organizations I spoke with um, started this big diaper drive, and another one was doing formula. So it was all of these different things that they were so responsive to the community, and they could do that because they were local. They They were based there. They had already had a level of trust within the community, so community members felt comfortable saying, I'm having this problem. Can you help me? Because... Oftentimes when an outsider will come in and Mm -hmm. say, okay, what is it that you need? And they're like with a clipboard and they're from FEMA or wherever. Um, That, remember I mentioned earlier that bit about a power differential? Yes. So that's right there, very present. But when it's a community member that you've known for a while, that you know is trustworthy, you're more likely to open up to someone like that. And so that's why local community organizations are so significant to a response after a shock, and especially in this particular case. That um, makes so much sense. Right. There were two things I want to mention before we start talking about what we can do locally. Uh, one is, um, let's not forget that several people died, mm-hmm. and the community had to ad- adjust to that, the mm-hmm. feeling that we've lost folks. So being resilient and coming back is, is what happens after people grieve, or were they still grieving? And how were those folks remembered? Were you able to talk to people about that? Yes, so um, thank you for bringing that up. The, the people who died, some of them were very well-known within the community, and so their loss was felt quite deeply amongst, I knew of the people that I interviewed, Four of them knew at least one victim personally as a friend or as a member of their church community or something like that. Um, And so the memorials went on. um, As you know, that's uh, something that we see whenever there's a mass shooting. That's actually part of the healing process. Um, One of the scholars who's very well versed in this um, at the Center for Collective Trauma. She um, had talks about how having that those uh, memorials that are out, the flowers, the 
pictures. The teddy bears. The teddy bears, right. All of that is so important for people to feel like they are contributing in some way to this grieving process because it's not just the families, it's the entire community. And in this case, really, the African-American community throughout the country was really feeling the the pain and the trauma of this event, but especially in Buffalo, of course. You know, I said there were two things I wanted to talk about, and I can't remember what the second one was. <laughs> but in the meantime, we are going to start to talk about how we can build more resilient communities here locally. But, I, you know, something just came to mind. I'm thinking about the football player in Buffalo mm-hmm. who collapsed on the field and the incredible way that city came to honor that person and support that person. Do you think that that's something that they might have learned over the past couple years to be a supportive community and show their love for each other in that city? I mean, I know you don't know, but I'm just thinking about that. That comes to mind that maybe they learned something from this that, yes, they can use in the future. That's that's a really good point. And you're right. I can't answer that <laughs> question, but it did occur to me when Damar Hamlin suffered that mm-hmm. heart attack on the on the field and I thought oh my goodness another another, another thing terrible thing that this community is going to have to go through cuz the Buffalo Bills actually had provided a great deal of support to the community um many of the players uh presented uh flowers and other types of of gifts at the memorial sites and they participated in the barbecues and served people. Wonderful. Um, Many of them were quite shaken by the event um, happening in the community. So um, there is a great deal of community love. And that was one thing that really came through when I spoke with people, the signs of love all over the community and that, Despite having suffered such a horrific event, many of the people still talked about how love is so important and this is how we get out of this, which sounds trite and kind of, I don't know, (laughs) Pollyanna-ish, but it's actually true that kindness and compassion are what help forge those social ties that make us more resilient And understanding and lack of judgment about others is also what helps us connect with our common humanity. And that's what we need in order to be and to build a more resilient community. That's a really good way to start talking about how we can do things locally. If we wanted to start to build, I mean, I'm thinking about the floods we just had here in our area and how many of the folks who work in agriculture, you know, our local farmers and others were just talk about shock. They lost their crops for the season. They're really hurting. What can we do? Let's use that as an example. What can we do? And then after that example, what can I do? to try to foster a stronger community in my neighborhood, for example, or maybe in the region? Oh, that's great. I love that you're asking this because um, it really is up to each of us to try to build more of those social ties across our community. So thank you for your (laughs) willingness to do that. Um, I was so happy, and um, I guess happy is kind of... uh, an understatement. When I saw the outpouring of support for some of the farmers who had lost all their crops, 
I felt just relieved to know that there was that level of care and concern for others within our community to help out someone who, for no fault of their own, suffered this traumatic event. And it is a traumatic event when you lose your entire <laughs> crop. Your entire crop. And it affects all of us. I mean, that's right. You know, all those beautiful vegetables and fruits that we look forward to having here because we want to have healthy food and we we won't be able to have those now. I mean, I was thinking of that too. So it's even personal. My, my friends, the farmers, they lost their crops, but I lost a food source too, you know, so it affects all of us. It does. And, you know, um, the farmers also feel a sense of purpose in providing food to others. Sure. I've seen this in many of the um, commentaries that the farmers have made. You know, we do this so that we can nurture our community. We want to provide them with good, fresh food. And now we can't do that. So that's another level of the grief that they felt that we have to be kind of aware of. And, and help them through that. So what can we do individually? What can we do? Yes. Um, simple little things. Those small gestures. Small gestures. Hi, how are you? Talk to the person who's checking you out of the grocery store. Talk to the farmer about the weather when you go to their farm store. Um, share some compassion with them about other problems they might have run into. You know, I saw someone at the grocery store the other day and usually he was very chipper and smiling and always saying hello and he was just like not smiling that day and I walked past him and then I went back and I said you know you always say hello to everybody and it makes me so happy to when I come here to have somebody do that and he just said thank you so much for saying that I didn't, you know, I just didn't know anybody didn't. noticed. Oh, that's wonderful. I didn't notice that anybody noticed. Yeah, and I said, you know, well, I do, and I just want you to know whatever you're going through today, I've been through similar stuff, and you'll get through it. Right. And so for us to kind of reach each other on that level of common humanity is so important. And, um, you know, like... Uh, my husband said the other day when he was out, a woman was walking through the grocery store giving out $50 gift cards. Really? Just she said, you look like you need some help. She saw a woman with a couple of little kids and she said, I just want to, you know, make your day. Oh, my gosh. These are little things that we can do. And it doesn't have to be monetary, right? Right. But it could be like, oh, you're opening up a pack of gum when you're on the plane. And Offer it to like the person one? next to you. Yeah. A lot of what's happened in the past few years, sadly, has kind of ripped us apart, made us afraid of each other, made us um, question the other person's motives when they do things. You're right. Yes. Right. And so I think it's up to us to really kind of break that down, try to build those connections up again. Well, it takes... Um you know, some people are afraid to do that. They're afraid of what the other person might do, or will there be repercussions? And maybe it'll start something that I don't really, a path I don't really want to go down. I think we just have to take that first step. But in your resilience studies, mm -hmm. how do you encourage people to do that? How do you let people see that it's worth it to move forward and take that step and say hello? And would you like this piece of gum? Mm, that's, well... I try to 
keep that visual of the tapestry of society front of mind. So that weaving that we were talking about, mm. the, the horizontal and vertical ties that we can create, um, that can create a really beautiful, fine tapestry. Or it can be like burlap where it's scratchy and the holes between the, the threads are larger. And so it's up to us to tighten those up, to keep reinforcing this type of relationship building across, across the community. I love that, that we can be silk and not burlap. There I like go. that a lot. <laughs> well, Tricia, we're getting ready to wind down, and I don't know if you have any last words you want to say. I do want people to be able to access the film that you created, the documentary, yes. and it is called... Guardians of Hope. Guardians of Hope. And I know you can Google it, and we will and we will um, put a link to it uh, on this platform, but... I know you can Google it by um, just Googling Guardians of Hope, Buffalo, New York. Because if you don't do that, you find other Guardians of Hope things. Right. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And so we'd like to do that. If you have any final words, I'd like to hear them. And I'd also like to say, I want to thank you so much for being here. I feel like we've strengthened our social ties. I didn't know you very well. Now I feel like I know you a lot better. I hope that you and I can create some silk instead of some burlap in our relationships. Thank you, Denise. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I guess the, the couple of things I'd like people to take away is all resilience is local. And it's really up to us to build those social ties that make our communities more resilient. And as one of the gentlemen who was still sitting outside of the grocery store in mm. Buffalo, helping people if they were still afraid to go in, because that's how I met him. He was like, do you need help going in the grocery store? I'm still here if you need somebody to walk through with you. Um, he said, we are the superheroes. No mm -hmm. one's going to come help us um, to save us but us. So we have to be here for each other. And I think that's the best message I can give everyone is, you know, we are here for us, um, for each other. We have to act collectively and um, trust me, as an introvert, that's hard for me, but I do it anyway. <laughs> well, you don't seem introverted to me, Tricia. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love that idea. You once again are giving us a message of hope and knowing that we can, even in spite of the things that happen to us and that will continue to happen to us, we can look forward to doing things together and being better as a group, as humans, solving some of our problems and bouncing back. Thank you so much, Denise. You're welcome.